Copen and Copenhagen, Copen and Copenhagen, Copen and Copenhagen, Copen and Copenhagen. This is a podcast about hanging out in Copenhagen. There's nothing there. What, look, what is that? What, what? Hello and welcome to the Sex Show, Copen and Copenhagen on 97.7 FM. My name is Owen. Of course, I'm here with Yes. yes, it's good to be back. This is your modern guide to living in the city of Copenhagen. Uh, we talk about everything. Yes. But on this episode, what are we going to be talking about, Marius? Well, uh, we're going to have a news roundup. Oh, yeah? We're going to keep it a bit corona-specific to Denmark. Uh, then we have a fascinating uh, interview coming up with uh, Ronnie Appergale, uh, who is um, one of the founders and the director of the NGO The Human Library. Cool. Yes, very interesting. We went to The Human Library. More on that later. Then we have a history bit, uh-huh. uh, straight from uh, hot off the press uh, of uh, the Copenhagen Post. If you've clicked the link, welcome to the show. Yes, thank, thank you, thank you, thank, thank you too, thank you too. And uh, then we got some hot tips, and uh, that's the show. That is the show. Yes, let's get into it. I'm excited. Very, very much so. Me too. <laughs> Ooh, let's go. <laughs> so. Uh, a really quick sort of Corona update here in the news roundup. Uh, yeah. Just so everyone knows, uh, if you haven't heard, face masks are now mandatory in all public transport. Yes. So not only in rush hour. Yep. If you're going on a bus, you're going on the train, you're going in the metro, put on a face mask. Yeah. And it goes for all the trains, even the regional trains and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, get a face mask. Uh-huh. Bars, they can now stay open till 2 a.m. Where previously they had to shut at uh, midnight. Yeah. Yes. But there's a caveat to that. But there's a caveat because uh, no new guests can enter uh, after 11 p.m. How are they going to place that? Yeah, that's gonna be. How an are issue. you going to? How are you? They were talking about something with wristbands and stuff, but it seems like a uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That, I don't know why that was so. Like I guess it makes sense for bars that they can stay open longer. Yeah, they'll make yeah, more money, yeah. but yeah. But if it. I I don't get it because like okay if you keep it up capacity and monitor the capacity because the, the amount of people out on a Saturday night ain't going to change it's not like more people go out after 11 o'clock mm, I don't know if you went to eat a dinner yeah but like I'm saying instead of keeping the same people in there from 11 which is nigh on impossible I would say Keep the capacity the same, so only have a certain amount in. So oh yeah, clicker, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, that would be weird. So it's the same. Yeah, it's the for same. Sure, for sure. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like, and people who don't have bouncers, like bars and, and places that don't have bouncers, fuck, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And but the good yeah, news with outdoor is, seating and stuff like that. Yeah, how are they going to tell if absolutely. if I stayed seated and then a friend of mine joins after eleven? Who looks like you? I mean, exactly. I mean, you're Which you're. <laughs> no one does. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is we can stay drinking longer now. So, I mean, yes, that's great. Thank God. <laughs> uh, nightclubs are still not too open, okay. um, but they have been given permission that if they can turn their nightclub into a restaurant or something <laughs> like that, then they're good to open. <laughs> Change your business plan. And we'll talk. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk then. That's easy, right? You yeah. can just, uh, yeah. just turn this into a... Uh, it's all the same, really. It's all the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's... And, yeah, if you're traveling, I would also just be on top of... There's a lot of countries now that are putting back up sort of restrictions and sort of saying, no, no, yeah, no yeah. Norway have just said no Danes, please. What? Yep. I have a six-week holiday booked in Norway. I know. That's that's not going to happen. I'm not joking. I have a six-week holiday booked. Have you? Yes. No? Yeah. Seriously? Yes. 
Well, we get to take holidays from the show? No, you're taking over. The, you had a, week, a holiday last week. Yeah, one, one like four days. You're taking six weeks. <laughs> we never talked about it. Are we, we never gonna have this talk right here on there. I'm just, I'm just saying you never. There's, there's a Google Calendar. We, we clock in there's our no, holidays. There's no Google. There's cal- a Google Calendar for the show. We, <laughs> we block in our holidays. You took last week. I'm taking the next six weeks in Norway. Okay. Well, I'm not really sorry to inform you that that's not happening because Norway won't accept you. <laughs> I've already paid for it. Oh uh, well. Anyway, there's no money back guarantee from Norway. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they will. Anyway, uh, so yeah, be up on sort of, if you're planning on traveling, have a good look at it. Uh, yep. Denmark is currently sort of not restricting any countries. They're just saying, uh, uh, highly don't recommend you going there or eh, it's not so good to go there. Mm-hmm. But they're not sort of preventing anyone okay. from it. Um, so yeah. Now, um, the prime minister, uh, Mette Frederiksen, has uh, been uh, sort of uh, praised for handling of the coronavirus yes. here in, in Denmark. and um, She postponed her wedding like two, three times during the whole thing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Adorable stuff. Yeah. Uh, but she has uh, recently come um, into uh, a bit of criticism uh, regarding some, some statements and uh, a campaign video. Oh. Um, so uh, first, this campaign video was released um, from uh, yeah uh, the Social Democrats. They have this kind of like summer meeting where yeah, yeah. I don't know whatever they do AGM kind of a thingy yeah something like that. Um, and this video was meant to sort of highlight uh, inequality among sort of with children mm-hmm. uh, coming from different you know backgrounds, social and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the video, it's sort of this classic experiment where it shows a row of kids, and uh, because it's Denmark, they've been told to throw a handball, that sport called handball. Um, Still don't get it. Yeah, into a goal, um, and sort of before throwing the ball, they will sort of have to say yes or no to these statements. Uh, and if they can answer yes to them, they get to take two steps uh, forward, closer to the goal. Oh. Yes, so they're all starting like from the middle of the court and then get to step forward yeah. and say yes. Uh, and questions like, did your parents finish uh, university? Uh, can you get help with uh, your homework at home? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever felt uh, poor? Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. And then they get to sort of get closer and closer if they can sort of, sh- yeah, if they're privileged, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, yeah, I, I can read between the lines of this. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it's a ish, shit game. It's a shit game. <laughs> uh, but it but it does highlight a point to some extent, but yeah. it's very, it's not sort of, it's been used quite a lot. Yes. Um, the issue with this video is that all of the kids were very white, like very white. Like really? Danish uh, liver pate hair, like sort of, yeah. Very white, uh, so not really representative of uh, the, the Danish demographic, and uh, the social democrats have said, "Oh well, it just happened to be that uh, we couldn't get anyone uh, with another." We looked everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we looked everywhere, and uh, yeah. So, so really, yeah. So they've gotten some flag for that, um, which is fair enough. Uh, then uh, made a flag and in a press. They dropped the ball on it. Hey, the handball. Uh, I, don't in, get, I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> then uh, Metaflexen in a press conference uh, also made comments referring to the numbers showing an increase within a certain sort of ethnic uh, minority. And um, and she made a very sort of strong statement that she felt it was fair to call out these specific uh, uh, minorities or these specific ethnic groups. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and it was referring sort of as very much to what was happening in, in Aarhus, where they had a surge of, of uh, infection rates. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but this has also been uh, criticized uh, because this is sort of a, a common 
pattern um, of sort of accusing minorities for for being the the spreader of disease and and sort of completely missing the point that it isn't tied to specific ethnicities, but it's sort of it's, it's all about social inequality mm-hmm. uh, being the, the the problem here, which which isn't a matter of skin color or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So uh, not very, yeah, not very good uh, and sort of borderline. Racist. Oy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, lastly, she was on a roll. Uh, Made a flag and also went after uh, young children of immigrants. Um, what, like chased them? What, went no, after? But, uh, this was also on this Democrats summer meeting. Right. Uh, in uh, relation to uh, sort of a, they were they have to do a new settlement for the Danish police. She referred to young immigrants, boys, yeah. uh, spreading fear and making Danes feel unsafe, like in public transport and like Ooh, in uh, Jesus, if really? you go down uh, in your uh, laundry uh, basement uh, at night. Um, She's calling out young immigrant boys for for making people feel unsafe. That is utter nonsense. Like, first off, your laundry basement is locked normally by eight o'clock, so you mm. wouldn't be going down there. <laughs> That's not the point here. Oh. Sorry, I, I missed. But what what point? What are we meant to be? Well, oh the, yes, the racism. Yeah, right. the yeah. racism. Okay, yes. yeah. yeah. Um, she didn't get into specifics on how, because sort of it's in relation to this new settlement for the police and giving them more sort of uh, power to somehow. Uh, go after uh, young immigrant children, basically, yeah. uh, boys specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they didn't get into specifics on how they were going to do that. But like, yeah, this is this is just a, a, again another sort of. Uh, first of all, hmm. immigrants of why they're just young Danes. Yeah, like let's just let's get that straight. <laughs> But then it's also highlighting young people as uh, the problem, sort of. And yes, I'm sure there are uh, young people uh, that has caused people to feel unsafe in a metro or on a bus at some point. Um, but sort of this, this blatant sort of this, yeah, I, I don't know what other word to use for it than sort of racism in terms of sort of pinpointing these minorities mm-hmm. and these groups. Uh, it's so sad to see from a, a woman who's done really, really well, and and I have sort of considered a great communicator in many ways. Yeah, this is a really sad turn. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, long way to go here in this country with uh, regards to uh, racism. And this is this is even, this isn't even hygge racism. For yeah, me. this is straight up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, them them the news. Them the news. Uh, The Irish equivalent of uh, some like a government having a bad like summer meeting thing was years ago. Um, uh, Fianna Fáil, which was the party in power back when shit hit the fan in 2008. Uh, our old Prime Minister <coughs> Taoiseach, um, um, Bertie O'Hearn. T-shirt. Taoiseach. Taoiseach. Taoiseach is the Irish um, equivalent of Prime Minister. Oh. Um Bertie O'Hearn um, saw the damage he'd done and he abandoned ship, right? He mm-hmm. said, fuck this, I'm out of here. And he gave it to um, Brian Cowan, which uh, was another uh, minister and he became Taoiseach uh, of the party uh, when everything hit the fan. Like, it, he was just, it was a fucking burning ship that hit an iceberg that got hit by a meteorite. It was fucked. Okay. And he just got all the blame. Bertie just fucked off. Uh. And during that period, uh, uh, they had this one of these summer AGM things in Galway and... Brian Cowan, leader of the government, at the heart, like financially hardest time Ireland has had in known like history, had to make a national telephone interview, and he did it drunk. 
No. He was still drunk from the night before. Oh, God. He was like, you could hear him like scraping words. Like, oh. We think that is, is going to be better next year. And we're working on uh-huh. it. Like clearly shit faced. <laughs> he clearly hadn't gone to bed. Was it early in the morning? It was like seven o'clock. OK. Like, uh, but he's, the, the, he's the, the fucking, fucking prime, prime minister. Like, <laughs> fucking go to bed, man. <laughs> you got one very important job to do. I yeah. mean, run the country. But anyway, okay. but in Ireland, we're like, oh, you bollocks. And we just moved on with it. Yeah. No one really gave a fuck. No. It was already fucked anyway back then. But yeah. poor Brian Cowan, my heart bleeds from him. He got, he got it raw into the deal. But anyway, uh, more importantly, more importantly than drunken Irish politicians, mm-hmm. human libraries. Yeah. Um, sadly, you couldn't join us, but uh, I went out to uh, interview uh, Ronnie Abigail, who is the, the director of the NGO, the Human Library. Now, tell me, what exactly is a human library? Yes. Uh, well, uh, it's 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 like an actual library. It's a it's a source of, of knowledge, uh, but instead of uh, sort of books, it has uh, humans, and uh, these humans are there for you to sit down and have a, a dialogue with them. Um, the human books, they cover topics uh, within gender, sexual orientation, religious beliefs, ethnicity, um, as well as humans uh, dealing with disabilities or who struggle with gambling or alcoholism. Right, okay, so like a vast... A, a really uh, vast like a, uh, sort of... Yeah, array of, of, yeah. Of, of different humans. And the idea is simply that um, you can go to this location and, and sort of... Maybe confront some stereotypes that you carry, um, yeah. or or basically just to they're there to facilitate a conversation between two humans, uh, so we have a better understanding of each other. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, it was a very inspiring conversation. Uh, great, great guy. Um, where where is it? It's on Nørre so on Nørrebro. Um, if you know where Saint Hans Tower is, mm-hmm. uh, very close to. It's where the old uh, venue called Global were. Uh, it's, uh, it's right in front of that. Cool. There's a church. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's right there. And uh, Ronnie was very open and also shared about his own dealings with uh, loss and, and uh, his experience by, uh, in with being a, a human book. And I started uh, by asking Ronnie, how did they sort of, uh, how did this idea come about? Uh, I was working at the Stop the Violence. Yeah. And we're sort of having a great big brainstorm on what to do for Roskill Festival. Oh, okay. And so it was kind of an idea that spins off and spins off, but it started with what about creating a safe space where people can ask questions from other people in the community that they otherwise would never meet yeah. and challenge some of the groups that we think we know, but maybe potentially judge very harshly. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we threw groups, immigrants, Muslims, these um, nightclub bouncers. Mm-hmm. That used to have really big muscles back then, yeah, 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. If you went to a nightclub here, most most security people would be very physical toned. Yeah, they'd be very muscular. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of stereotypes also about them being racist. Yeah. Uh, keeping minorities out of the nightlife. And so we thought, we built a list. We came up with this brainstorm. We had a list. All of a sudden we had 50 or 75 groups that we had identified where we could personally list uh, well-known stereotypes and prejudices that were widespread about mm. these groups because we all knew them. Yeah. But then when we asked ourselves, how, what do we really know about this? Um, how much of this could be true and what's just you know what we heard from somebody else or because we saw something out of the corner of the eye, as we say here? Mm-hmm. When you see something out of the corner of the eye, you're not really seeing it clearly. No. Because you're not seeing it in focus. You're seeing it out in the corner. So obviously misunderstandings, misinterpretations, 
sometimes miscategorizations. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want to have contact with that group, potentially based on something you saw, behavior, or something you read. But when you get to know people from that community, you find out that you have much you could benefit from yeah. if you were to engage with that community, you know? Okay. So that's what the human library sort of is. That's the kind of place. And then we built on and said, okay, so wait, how do we get people to do that? Mm -hmm. Well, we, we put people on loan like a library. Yeah, okay. And then like, okay, like open books? I said, yeah, like open books. And now, how did that idea come? Because that's a, as a well, like it makes it sense was, when you say it. it the, 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 the difficult, first of all, just to have the idea that we could create a safe space, but the rapid was really what ticked us, was okay, it, it, it disarms people. Mm -hmm. Because where do you, what's an institution in your, in your community where everybody's welcome? You can be rich, <clears throat> you could be poor, you could be a professor, or you could be someone who had really difficulties reading or not being able to read at all. Mm -hmm. Everybody's welcome at the library. Yeah. Uh, and the library doesn't have a set agenda for you, mm. except it makes information available. Okay. What information you want, what do you want to do with it, mm -hmm. where are you going to go with it, that's all entirely in your hands. Yeah. When you compare it to other institutions or destinations in our daily life or overall in our communities, most of them do not have that degree of freedom. Mm. Uh, you go to the dentist, most likely you're going to have your fees, teeth fixed or looked after or checked up on. Mm. If you're going to the police station, you're either reporting something or you did something. Mm. Uh, God knows, you, you know, mm. everybody has an agenda, everything has a framing, and the library has a framing too. It's an information center, it's an information sharing and learning uh, center for everyone to take advantage of, but the agenda is very, very free. So we thought everybody knows what a library is, everybody knows what a book is, we're just going to say that these people are open books with special knowledge that they're sharing with you. And so that special knowledge comes from their personal experience. So someone had to run away from Syria because of a very serious war there. Mm. Their personal experience becoming refugees, uh, internally displaced, or even bringing themselves all the way here, um, that's their experience. Yeah. They'll open to you and say, hey, my name is, I'm a refugee, I had to run away from war, this is what happened. And then you can ask freely and sort of dive in and go where you want to go. What is it you really want to know most about refugees? Now, my question would be, what made you decide... What, what's the one thing potentially that happened that convinced you now it's time to go? Yeah, yeah, because that's a, that's yeah. a that's big a big, decision. That's yeah. like the decision is mm. when to run, when to try and wait it out, when yeah. to, and when is it safe to go? Because if you're in a city, all of a sudden there's war and planes are coming and dropping bombs on your region, where are you going to run? Mm. Where's the safest place to go? I mean, even how do you navigate all of a sudden waking up and your peaceful country is at war mm. and getting bombed. Yeah. How, how, I'm, all these questions I would have to better understand the individual's you know, uh, risk assessment um, because it's no easy thing. to. I, I don't believe it's easy for anybody to decide to leave their country. No. Even if they're leaving poverty uh, or, or conflict. Uh, it cannot be an easy decision to, to say goodbye to that. So coming to the human library, barring a refugee or a police officer or a politician or someone with a disability or someone with a different uh, gender identity and just learning. 
So the idea basically was, hey, let's see what happens. Yeah, um, okay. And then one of my coworkers, one of my colleagues said to me, but Ronnie, what if nobody comes? And I said, look, if we put 50 very, very different books together and nobody comes, in the meantime, they'll be reading each other. While they're yeah. waiting for readers, they'll be reading each other. So in the worst case scenario, we're going to win small. Mm. Best case scenario, we're going to win big. Yeah. Because readers will benefit, books will benefit, communities will benefit. Nobody can lose. Mm. In, at the Human Library, there is nobody that walks away empty-handed. Yeah. One thing is what we're told through media or re reading through academic knowledge and other sources of information. But very often, meeting somebody, sitting there, I mean, even at a COVID-19 distance, mm. sitting there, flesh and blood, um, sensing the other person gives a more strong credibility and sort of ability for you to create a relation to what we're talking about here. So I would, if, I, if I'm a book, I would love for your outcome to be that you're better able to understand people with disabilities. If you borrowed me as a book with a disability, I'd love for you to walk away feeling much better informed, better qualified, and potentially even less fearful of socially engaging people with disabilities. Mm. That would be the greatest outcome for me, is that next time someone with a disability was there, you were not gonna be the one that was socially apprehensive about engaging with that person because they had a disability. Mm. Because it can be very isolating. Disease often is very stigmatizing. People withdraw. When they hear you're ill, they withdraw. Mm. They want to give you space, they say to themselves, yeah? But in reality, they don't want to be confronted with the fact that we can all become ill. Mm. And it's not nice having that social responsibility burden, something I recognized for myself when my wife passed suddenly, and that whole trauma and tragedy unfolded in social circles. There are different reactions, and one of the reactions are withdrawal. Because it's, it's too difficult to comprehend. It's too, it's too much of a social burden for them. Yeah. And you, you may, it makes yourself wonder what kind of humanity we are. Because here's somebody who's burdened by a tragedy. And then what's added to that is that they become socially responsible for how other people feel about your tragedy. So mm. when I showed up somewhere where people knew about my circumstances, I would have to go to some lengths to make everybody feel socially comfortable that I was even in the room. <laughs> because, oh my God, you must be destroyed. You must be ruined. How's it going? Are you okay? And you would have to ask yourself, do they really want to know the truth? Or do they just want to hear you say, don't worry, I'm okay. Yeah. And so, but after a time you stop asking yourself the question and you decide to tell them your version of the truth, which is both true but still uh, something they can be comfortable with. Mm. So you, because you have to find a way to make them comfortable. And so I decided to say, you know what? It's a little better every day. But that social burden is part of humanity's mechanisms that come into place when there's something that's difficult to talk about, a big taboo, a stigma, something we're fearful of. Mm. And I'm afraid that bereavement, and especially sudden bereavement, because at the end of life, when someone is high up in the ages, sudden passing, okay, he's, he fell asleep last night, the old geezer. It's not a shock, is it? No, but it's not a shock somebody 92 don't wake up next morning. 
It's sort of what we've come to expect of life, that the life cycle comes to an end at a certain stage. When somebody passes at 37 on vacation with their little kids, then it's a tragedy mm. and it's a problem. Yeah. And I think the impact of that taught me a lot about being a book, taught me about stigma and stereotypes and, and anxiety and a lot of things. Mm. So I put myself on the bookshelf, but not I'm not currently on the bookshelf for on loan because that's not my function here. Yeah. But I put myself on the bookshelf uh, with my topic because I had valid experiences. And, and we, were, we were needing books at a certain stage. Yeah. Somebody had to step up and somebody was called out in the middle of an event and I jumped in. And it's good to know what it is you're asking, not asking, but sort of expecting also from people around the world that are volunteering for us mm. and coming forward, some of them with really, really difficult expectations, yeah? Yeah. You have a lot of different books, yes. uh, humans. Um, and I can understand you are, yeah, this has been going on for 20, 20 odd years. 20 years, but we're in 85 countries. We're in 85 countries. How, how has this, uh, because it grew out of Denmark. Yes. How, um, sort of double barrel question, how, how did you sort of, how did it start here in that sense and how did you grow and, and what's your approach to sort of find it? Do you find books or do people come to you and is there any kind of qualification for people to be a book or? Okay, um, we started here in 2000 for the, a big festival event. And that ran for four days, and it gave, gave us not only proof of concept, but also a great deal of inspiration, mm -hmm. because the feedback was tremendous. I mean, I've worked with social change for many years before uh, developing the library, and I've never seen anything with this impact. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself also that this library really is needed because it works. You know, things that work are needed, especially when it solves a problem or helps aid in solving a problem. Mm -hmm. like this could do um, and so then I went on I, I made a description of you know what was it we did wrote the whole thing down how do we get books how do we train the books how do we identify the topics put the methodology on paper yeah and started going to other countries and partnering with people and hosting local events to sort of test the concept so we went to Norway and had a really really great test but Norway and Copenhagen, Oslo and Copenhagen are two cities that socially culturally religion, a lot of things we share in common with our Norwegian brothers and sisters. So I thought that was a great test, but also a safe place to test it. Yeah. We got to go further away to really get answers to how do people in other countries with a different culture than the Scandinavian sort of culture respond to this offering, because it is kind of confrontational. Mm. Sit down with a police officer. Now, why would I want to do that? Uh, sit down with a Muslim. Hey, wait a minute. What's this going to be about? Mm. Um, um, so I would probably get sweaty palms if yeah, I Yeah, so some people actually officer. get a little nervous about this. <laughs> and there's also an element of social anxiety. What are we going to talk about? Yeah, what yeah, am yeah. I going to say? Is this going to be awkward? Yeah, I don't know what yeah. to ask. Are there going to be a lot of quiet moments? And mm. there isn't. Mm. It's not awkward at all. Only the first 10 seconds, mm. you'll be like, whoa. But if you get a proper introduction from the librarian and you get a proper introduction to the book, you're feeling socially comfortable before you even sit down. Yeah. Uh, that's our aim, that you should feel safe, socially comfortable and know that you're in a framing where somebody volunteered to answer your questions no question is wrong if it's asked with sincerity and respect for the book mm. so after norway portugal and after portugal hungary and you know that sort of convinced me we're good yeah, yeah. we're good we changed the content up because obviously in hungary they want to talk about other issues than potentially the topics that were very current to scandinavia 
Mm-hmm. But um, but basically the model worked, and by 2008 we reached the U.S. Uh, and started moving in there, and it's just gone country for country for country. Oh, amazing! Um, and obviously we set up websites and toolkits and guides and methodology packs and evaluation forms and mm. training courses for books, training courses for librarians, uh, all these different ethics charter and conduct and all these things that we've developed are not things that we thought of from day one, but it's a work in progress. Yeah. Building a library doesn't happen in an afternoon. If you're ready to surrender to the methodology, which means, I mean, why is that important? Because a book could be a person that comes in and has a great chip on their shoulder and wants to campaign against something. And in a way, campaigning could be okay, but there's a line between lobbying and surrendering to being a source of information. Mm. So we can't have people who are agitating, lobbying, missioning. So in principle, we can have somebody with a chip, but only if it's not a chip that ties them into sort of missioning towards you. Yeah, okay, but, okay. but I could have a chip towards the Danish health system for failing my wife with her heart situation, but I'm not gonna let that taint me as a book. Mm. If they ask me, how do you feel about the way the system acted? I'd say I'm not entirely happy mm. when somebody passes at the age of 37 and they've been monitoring her heart valve for 20 years. Yeah. Then I would say they fumble the ball a wee bit, mm. or 30 years, mm. 28 years. So I'd say they fumbled, but it's not gonna be my opening line, hey, I'm against the system or something. I'm not against the system. Mm. But we do vet our books to yeah. make sure that the right motivation. So this metho- me- methodology, methodology. Yeah. is that uh, is that part of this kind of idea about sort of uh, unjudging? Pure, unjudging is just a way to describe what we're offering. Mm-hmm. In the past, we used to say, don't judge a book by its cover. Because, you know, once you get into it, you find out, wait a minute, that wasn't good to judge it just by its cover. It's much more mm-hmm. or even worse than I thought. We actually found that to be sort of half a truth because we all judge books on their cover. Mm. So to say that, is even a joke because so come it's on. Not, so it's not about not it's, judging. It's but unavoidable. Yeah, so it's not about not judging. We are rather focused on recognizing that all of us judge. You, me, your parents, my parents, my kids, and we judge everybody. Mm. We judge our neighbors, our bosses, our coworkers. You're gonna judge, uh, today you'll be judging maybe 50 people. Mm. Uh, or more, depending how much you walk out in the society. Every time somebody is coming towards you on the street, your brain is making a judgment. Even when you don't think about it, it's making a risk assessment. It's deciding whether or not this woman walking here is dangerous. She has a hoodie on, she has a bag, she looks pretty robust, is she going to punch you? I don't know. Um, Your brain is making the math, and if it raises the alarm, it'll come to the forefront of your brain and say, wait a minute, there's something here. Mm. If it doesn't, you won't even notice. You're just walking past. So your brain is passing judgment, making calculations of risk all the time. That's your survival instinct. And so we, after working with this, realized, holy crap, we all have prejudices, stigmas, stereotypes. We're all colored by the information we get. How many of us actually go back and fact check? Mm. So in a way you would call this sort of a a, a fact check of a sort. Let me just sit down with at least one Muslim 
before I decide Muslim people are against my culture, my tradition, or trying to undermine the Danish society, why don't you sit down and meet at least one mm. or more? Please, we have many. Yeah. <laughs> we have Jews, we have Muslims, we have Buddhists. Please, go ahead. Make it a journey so you get to understand and get insight into groups in your community you normally wouldn't feel you have access to. Mm. Maybe with this insight, you'll be doing a more qualified decision-making onward. It'll Actually, it'll empower you to navigate with greater confidence. So there is no community around me that I'm not feeling comfortable reaching out to because I know the people from my community and I know the different groups. Mm. It's not so scary once you know what it's all about. It's not scared the, scary that people are different once you understand how and why. We're just trying to create that space. Then, then how, how do you go about finding your, your books? Yeah, yeah. Uh, books come to us in many different ways. We have an online application form. You're free to go in and write, hey, I'm a book, I have this topic, I can be... So many people obviously by now have heard about the Human Library. Mm. So at this stage, more books are coming on their own. But from day one, I've been stopping people on the street. I've been stopping people in buses, trains, planes, automobiles. I don't care. If I sense there's a book. Yesterday, a guy walks by with his girlfriend while we're open here. Mm -hmm. At the library where we're sitting now, we're in the permanent library in Copenhagen in the Reader's Garden doing this interview now. And so the other day while we're open, this huge muscular man comes by. And one of the librarians said, hey, would you want to borrow a book? He's walking with his girlfriend. And he goes, well, I don't really have time now. But I said, hey, would you want to become a book? Because mm -hmm. you look like a bestseller to me. <laughs> and I started my pitch because this guy, a big friendly giant, huge muscular guy but with the kind of ambience where you had the feeling that this he would he, he wouldn't hurt a fly this man mm. he simply he just seemed so gentle so i thought with a big guy like that he would challenge my stereotypes wouldn't he being so soft in nature because when i heard his voice and i saw his demeanor I'm like wow you're a gentle man mm. but you have a very excessive extent to your body i mean you're like twice my size mm. uh, we have 12 pillars of prejudice that we work with in our methodology. Mm -hmm. So you could say we have, in a way, 12 categories of literature. Yeah, okay. One category is social status. That means unemployed, homeless, uh, immigrant, refugee, many different topics mm. fall in under the social status pillar. Yeah. Um, we also have mental health, ethnicity, religious beliefs, gender identity, all of these different pillars help us put our literature into a system mm. where you can navigate. What happens here is a mirroring of humanity. You mirror your humanity and somebody else on their experience and you get to learn to relate to that group. And that group, you, you might ask, what's in it for the books? Yeah. Why do you have books on your bookshelf that are still with you for 20 years? Why do people stay five, seven, eight years? Why do they keep coming back? Why do some publish? 30, 40 times. We had one guy last year who published 27 times in a year. That's crazy. And when you mean published, you mean like he would have uh, go to events and or. That's anything. when you're published. Yeah. You're published whenever you meet a reader That's okay. and having a reading, you're being published. Mm. So every time you come down to an event, whether it's in a school, online, at this personal, at this private little location we have here now, yeah. uh, even though it's public, um, then you're being published. He came out for 27 different publishing occasions on different formats, reading hall, one-to-one, -one, you know, whatever it is. 
Yeah. And that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. That's a good job. That's amazing support. I'm very grateful for people who can give that kind of time. I'm as grateful for those that can only come once a month or every three months. We take what we can get with gratitude because we understand that these people have a, they have a life. And um, what, so are there any sort of, uh, within these uh, 12 steps, are there any books you're missing on your shelf, kind of? Is there any minorities or any there are always groups that are difficult to, that you're looking for, maybe? There, there are always groups that are more rare, or let's say topics mm. that are more rare or scarcely available. But, but if I'm to identify groups that have been historically uh, sometimes a challenge for us to to engage, it's different from country to country. Yeah. You see, in Copenhagen, there might be an excess of transgender topics available, while in Aarhus, there might not. Uh, it's not the fact right now, but I'm just giving as an example. So it's difficult to sort of mention one group. And how do you, uh, maybe specifically here in, in Copenhagen, how do you find the balance between sort of uh, Danes and internationals using using the library, both maybe as books, but also coming here to, to read the books? Um, we built this as a local library, but we understand that a majority of the people who are going to come here will be non-Danes. I mean, taking advantage of the public offering, the one where you walk in off the street and grab a book, will be people who are not Danish. Mm. And that's been shown to be true so far. Every time we're open, there are guests from the US or Madagascar, or uh, someone the other day was from Germany, and some people from Lithuania. I mean, so you're getting a very international group coming mm. by here, trying this thing out. Um, and what's the final sort of what's the what's the future looking like for the human library? Where is there any sort of new big events coming up or, or sort of? A, I mean, we live in a time where it's you have to be careful, yeah, <laughs> being wise about the future mm -hmm. because I think 2020 has really sort of punched us all in the face somehow or taught us that. Yeah. But I mean, for us, we actually after a very difficult time earlier this year having to cancel all our activities and shut down obviously every event in every country because there's no physical meetings available or possible with this uh, COVID-19. Then, um, then we we're fortunate to get our resources converted into online resources. Yeah. So now we're publishing our books virtually for a while mm -hmm. and that's going really well. I mean, obviously it's not entirely the same as face-to-face, But it's close. Yeah. It's really close, and I think in these isolated times where we're not really allowed to engage much with each other, it's really useful to have this outlet for many people. So it's going quite well. So I think the the, the future is optimistic. We're we're optimistic about the future, but we're also concerned about the long-term impact of this thing mm. and how it's going to enforce barriers between groups in the community that we've been working so hard to break sort of down, yeah. break down. So, I mean, it's a setback, but it's also at the same time an opportunity. Yeah. So there's nothing, someone once told me, Ronnie, there are no free lunches in this world. I'm like, why not? Somebody offered me a lunch. I went to lunch. It was free. I don't get it. I get it now, what they meant with the example. And there is no, you know, winning on both the carousels and on the slot machines. Mm. You're either going to lose on one or win on the other. And uh, so with every uh, setback comes also some opportunity. With every opportunity, there's also a, a hitch. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's no free lunch. Yeah, okay. But we're taking advantage, we're trying to adapt, 
and a lot of our books have embraced this and I'm really grateful for that across the world Chicago Bay Area uh, tonight we're training books from Champaign-Urbana uh, in Illinois mm -hmm. so we have book collections that are now slowly all converting into ebooks okay. and that obviously not all books feel comfortable being online but for those that do we're really grateful also that they're feeling you know courageous mm -hmm. to do this on video sort of yeah. but so we're able to, to keep meeting readers okay. and we'll continue to do that another 20 years fascinating stuff yeah a big thanks to ronnie for uh, opening up the, the library that we're uh, currently uh, closed but uh yeah he gave us a little uh not tour but um, we got to sit inside the little library and uh, they have a beautiful little garden out front yeah. um check out the pictures it's it's an amazing um ngo i, I gotta say my only concern uh i'm definitely gonna go myself and and and, and i like i sadly couldn't make it to this particular interview but um my thoughts were um how do you get someone who has a prejudice to want to face it? You know, because he clearly, in the interview, he wasn't pushing anyone to do anything they didn't feel comfortable with. It was no. all about, like, self-discovery and self-understanding. He even talked about judging being a thing. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? And, like, just, and I know it's not exactly in the library. I'm not talking about the library per se. But how do you have someone who has a, a set view on things? How do you get them to willingly confront that? You That's know? true. Um but I think it's they're they're taking a step in the right direction by 100%. just being like uh, there is an opportunity exactly uh, for those people who yeah yeah and I'm not don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not questioning the amazing the amazing work they're doing it's just mm. it's, no but I'm sure that it, tough, that is a know? challenge yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but really incredible it sounds amazing for sure for sure um, yeah go check go check them out uh, another thing you can check out yeah that is uh, the history articles featured on uh, the Copenhagen Post ah. And I've uh, I found one, Owen. Oh, yeah? Yes. It's about uh, Danish aviation history. You have an aviation history? Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just Cess. Um, <laughs> here we go. The 17th of December, 1903, was an ordinary day for uh, J.C.H. Ellehammer, a middle-aged watchmaker from Denmark. Despite his keen interest in engines and his private life's experiments with flying machines, he had never heard of Orville and Wilbur Wright before. Denmark's pioneers. The brothers exploit in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, in which they managed to lift their engine, driven heavier-than-air Flyer 1, into the sky for 12 seconds, traveling a distance of 36.5 meters to record the first controlled sustained flight made by a powered airplane in the history of mankind, were lost on Ilahama. As far as he was concerned, he was still in the running to become the first person to fly, and his experiments continued in earnest. Ilahama left the ground in his self-constructed aircraft three years later. He thought he was the first to fly. In reality, he was the first in Europe. Wow, that is fascinating stuff, sir. Mm -hmm. Not only that, uh, I, I, I dug a little bit deeper. Yeah. And I've actually found uh, some audio recordings uh, uh, right after he he completed his flight. Really? Yes. Uh, so I believe you can you can play yeah. that. Yeah. I'll just get the vinyl record going. Uh, let's have a listen. Ah, hello, Mr. Mr. Elahama. Hello, hello, hello. Congratulations, sir. Yes, hello. Uh, let me just get my uh, my goggles off. How does it feel? Well, it it. Uh... It's truly amazing to be uh, the, f the first person to, to fly oh. in the world. I'm very honored, uh, I must say. Uh, I'm, I'm it was a dream come true. I, I didn't think it would happen, but uh, to be the very, very first man yeah. 
ever oh. in the human history to uh, to fly a plane. Yeah. It's the only one I've done this. I'm my my father wouldn't believe it. I, uh, he would be so proud. I'm sorry. May he rest in peace. I'm sorry to uh, to inform you. And my you. son uh, that passed away in yeah. a tragic uh, uh, experiment that I had. Uh, oh. He would be even prouder. I I know he's looking. He's looking down, I, applauding it, me right now. It really breaks my heart to tell you that uh, 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 you actually weren't the first, uh, Mr. Elleheimer. Well, what's that? I'm sorry. The, the, the brothers, didn't... the brothers, right? They they did it three years ago. Who who's that now? The brothers, right? They they uh, <clears throat> they they invented flight. I thought you were copying them. I, I, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I, I seem to, it's probably because I've been flying as the first man in the world. Uh, my you, ears are a little bit uh, blown. You're, you're Europe, uh, Mr. Elleheimer. You're, you're the first man in Europe. Wait, are you saying I'm, I'm not the first man in the world? N- n- Europe's still a big place. God damn it. God, God damn it. I'm I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you. I should have listened to my wife. She said she said somebody else would do it before me, and God damn it! But I'm I'm sure you're 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 a smart man, Mr. Elleheimer. What what do, what do you have next in the plan? What 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 are you going to do next? Well, that is true. Uh, I, I'm uh, you know I'm a watchmaker, so uh, I have created uh, uh, something, uh, and I'm sure this time I'm the first in the world. It's called a pocket watch. It's a watch. Let me let me let me tell you. It's very exciting. Okay. It's a it's a it's a watch. Yes. You know, like the big ones you have standing in the living room. I've, yeah, I'm familiar. But I have made a miniature version that you can put in your pocket. You, you, how do you how how do you like that? Oh, I'm kind of like this one. What? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, they're. I'm I'm afraid to. Where'd you uh, get that from? Honestly, Mr. Uh, Elleheimer, I'm, I'm I'm they're they're pretty common. They're, I mean, they're. They're a dime a dozen. God damn it! You just you get no information in this country. I look. I'm, but I'm, that is why I have invented something new. Okay, what 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 great new thing are you going to bring to the world? This will revolutionize uh, everything. I'm excited. It's called the printing press. Oh fuck! It uh, will bring information worldwide f- faster than a faster than a faster than a horse. I I mean seriously. Uh, y- y- it prints. You can take a book and you can print many copies, but... Uh, Mr. Elheimer, I mean, that's been around for a long time. What? Yeah, you, you're like, I, I work with a newspaper. I told you I worked with a newspaper. What did you think that meant? Uh, I thought it was uh, news on a paper. Exactly, and it's printed. I said, the, the printing press, I'm with the press. Oh, that's, that's, that's a shame. Well, now... This time, I know there could be no other than me who could come up with this idea. Because I have invented... Oh, God. Oh, this is exciting. Here we go. I wasn't going to tell anyone. All right. Yes. It's called a car. You're an idiot. What? You're you're an idiot. Um, best of luck in your endeavors. I hope Denmark does better than you did. God damn it. Where, where are you going? Well, what a fascinating history piece. Yes, you uh, you can really learn something by uh, looking back. Yeah, well, if you want to look back at anything else, check out the Copenhagen Post. They have a wide selection of historic pieces you can check out. Indeed, indeed. What else I want to check out right now, though, mm-hmm. is what I should be doing in the week to come. It's time for Marys' Hot Tip! 
tips. Hot tips from Marius. Oh boy, they're hot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, um, enter art fair. Uh, okay, I will. Yes, thank you. <laughs> no, uh, on Thursday, 27th to the 30th of August, from 4 to 8 in the evening, uh, Enter Art Fair is the most prominent international art fair in the Nordics. This year, uh, Enter uh, presents 60 galleries and more than 250 artists from all over the world in a new location called the Tunnelfabriken, which oh. means the tunnel uh, of factory. Love. Oh, sorry, okay, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a tunnel of love. Uh, Tunnelfabriken, uh, which is a spacious, uh, industrial and impressive 18,000 square meter old factory located in the northern harbor of Copenhagen. Mm. So uh, if you're a bit of an uh, art lover, this is for you. Cool. Enter Art Fair. Sounds excellent. Yeah. Um, then, uh, last call for lobster at Kølbyen's <laughs> Fiske Bar, August 30th. If you want to go treat yourself, oh. mm-hmm. uh, you can enjoy the Danish blue lobsters fresh off the grill, smothered with butter. Yep. Uh, choose between a whole or a half lobster, uh, 400 to 225, and a good selection of seasonal green sides. The lobsters are caught responsible in deals <laughs> responsibly. <laughs> they're responsible lobsters. They're just Very minding their own business. And Very responsible they, lobsters. They, they, they were just taking their bins out on Wednesday morning like they should. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> and then, wham! <laughs> the lobsters are caught responsibly yeah. in creels, I have no idea what that is, in Limfjorn by local fishermen, then brought to the island of Venu. And then from For there, processing? I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I thought they were caught on the island of Venu, but anyway. <laughs> it's local <laughs> fishermen. Why would you think they'd be caught on, like, the lobsters were all just climbing onto the island? Yeah. And then someone going, hi, you fucker, I got you now. Yeah. Lobsters going to pots. Lobsters. lobsters going to pots. That's how it works. Is that a creel? Sure. I'm actually, yeah, more, it has to be. Okay. <laughs> well, Sorry, if man. you like lobster. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to. Last chance is August 30th. It act- it's a great hot tip, Marius. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I actually really like... Uh, it's a bit expensive, but Kulpin's Fish Bar is... Uh, if you want to treat yourself, highly recommend that. Cool. Uh, and then finally, stop by the Human Library. Nearly 7 uh, and speak to one of their books. Uh, opening hours are Monday to Friday, uh, 10 to 4. Uh, and they also have events and do corporate work. Um, you can also sort of contact them if you are interested in becoming a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, read more about it on their website. Um, yeah, I can only sort of uh, ha- yeah, praise this uh, NGO. Um, it's uh, amazing work they do. Excellent. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Start absolutely. the conversation. Yes, 100%. Don't judge books, but know that we all judge. But recognize it in yourself. You gotta I'm going to let you, them do that you talking. Got, yeah, yeah, let them. I just want to show that I... You're passionate. I like this. Yeah. Well, that is the show. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to check out anything we've been talking about, such as uh, the Human Library and such, there will be links on the Facebook page, Copy and Copenhagen on Facebook. Uh, check out uh, Spotify, iTunes, all those things for the uh, podcast. And you've probably already done that, so thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us a link. Give us a like. Give to us a friend. Link. A link to a friend, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Share it. <laughs> Fuck it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, get in touch with us if you have anything to say. Or Yeah. yeah. If you have an event you want to promote or you feel like there's something we haven't uh, talked about or yet to discover or something you are passionate about in Copenhagen, reach out to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.